0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. Casting a net into the sea, they were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. He walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. He went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and curing every disease and illness among the people. The gospel of the Lord. To you, Lord Jesus it's starting, not winter again, but in the gospel today, we hear the initiation, the 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 first steps of Jesus preparing for the mission. It's it's really cool when, in maybe the gospel, they reference an Old Testament reading, and we actually hear that reading. (laughs) So the, the gospel, they reference this Isaiah prophecy, and that's the first reading today. You think, why is this so significant? Often in Isaiah, in that book, they're referencing and referring to Messiah, the coming Savior. Jesus utilizes that because he's saying, what you've heard in the past, it's now coming to life. It's actually now a reality. And this Messiah you've been hoping for, dreaming about, wishing for, he's showing up. And it's me. One of the things about that prophecy that's, that's really intriguing is it talks about this land of gloom. And During the time that Christ was alive, Nazareth, where he was raised, was kind of considered the dumps. It wasn't the most desirable place to be. It was a land of gloom and desolation. And yet there's this fascinating reality. If you look through the history of the church for the last 2,000 plus years, we discover that some of the greatest saints, some of the most important Marian apparitions... Some of the greatest developments of the church have happened in the lowly, gloomy corners of the world. Like, think about the Marian apparition in Lourdes. Lourdes, France. Like, what? Fatima. What? You know, you think about the Marian apparitions in the, in the Asian continents. What? And in these places, the faith has sprouted with such a veracity that there's been nothing to extinguish it. In the same way, Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, comes from a lowly, gloomy place. Because the place doesn't have to define what we are capable of. The place does not have the opportunity to say, well, just because this is your lot of life, you are stuck to this. No, in fact, Christ is showing us that despite where we may come from, despite the things that we face in our life, we can rise to something amazing. So that's beginning today. Because who does Jesus call? That's that's the cool part. We get these call narratives today. He calls fishermen. They have no concept of, you know, the scriptures. They have no concept of the law. They have no religious teachings beyond maybe like the basic stuff they are given when they are little kids. Not even that good a fisherman apparently. But he calls them despite where they think they lack. And their response is immediate. At once, they left, they dropped the nets, they went away. Immediately, they left the boat, they left their father, they went with them. But do we hear anything about them? Nope. Not for a while. And why is that? Because just because they've been called doesn't mean that they're ready. They have to now watch the Master, learn from the Master, in order to then go and do as the Master has done. He doesn't just say, all right, follow me. I'm going to make you go do stuff and like make him do it. No, like for, for a while, for a good amount of time, they just sit and watch. And so for us, this is really comforting. It should be comforting because while God has invited every single one of us, yes, he has. He's invited every single one of us. Maybe we're thinking, oh, no, he's not inviting me. I'm this way. I'm that, blah, blah, blah. Wrong. He's invited you. Fact, end of story. He's invited you, but it requires contemplation on our part. It requires time with Him. It requires watching and learning from Him to know maybe how that invitation is to be played out, because the other reality, like we know the end of the story. We know what happens. We know what they ended up doing. We know what happened with Christ. Following God is amazing. It changes the whole course of one's life. I mean, these guys could have just been stuck in a dead-end job of, like, fishing and mending nets and doing it over and over and feeling like, this is all I do. But instead, they were called and recognized that despite where they're from, despite what they think they don't have, God wanted them. One of them for something particular. And he wants us for something particular. So when we follow after God, amazing things can happen. It maybe not always happens immediately. It doesn't happen the way we always imagine. But amazing things happen. And so we hear this little bit of this, this line in the second reading today about um, Paul's letter. He's writing to the people and it's like, why is there this division? What's, what's the deal with that? Why are you... All of a sudden saying, well, I'm from Paul, I'm from Apollos. like, aren't we all from Christ? And in the same way, like, we see this now, thousands of years later, we see, I'm Methodist, I'm Protestant, I'm Calvinist, I'm... No, like, we are all Christian at the heart of it. And Christ is the Master at the heart of it. The reason we can say the Catholic Church is the original church in in this context is because... Christ is the one who founded it. You know who founded the Lutheran church? Luther! You know who founded the Calvinist church? Calvin! They took things from Jesus Christ, yes. And we are still Christian, yes. However, the problem is that there's this individual opinion now within that church. You don't get Father Jay, I mean, you kind of get Father Jay's opinion from time to time, clearly. But my opinion is founded off of what Christ has taught, what the church has taught, what the magisterium has taught, what has been handed on for thousands of generations. That is so comforting. Because if we were up to me, we'd be screwed. And you can laugh at that. It's okay. Like, I admit it. It'd be awful. But it's founded on Jesus. So when we're invited by Jesus... We want to begin by just learning from Him. Yesterday was, was a fairly intense kind of day, in the most beautiful respect. It started with a funeral in Fort Wayne for Deacon Jim Fitzpatrick. And some may have heard that name, some may not. Uh, deacon Jim, he served as a deacon in our diocese, as a permanent deacon, uh, back from, he was ordained in 2011. Before that, he had been uh, Bishop Rhodes and Bishop Darcy's MC, uh, Master of Ceremonies for all the major liturgical events. And before that, even, he had done that in in his uh, town growing up in Ohio. So he serves as a permanent deacon. His wife, Karen, also serves in our diocese, uh, in the diocesan offices. And the joke had been for many, many years that... Together, they made one healthy person (laughs) because she had different medical stuff and he had different medical stuff. And when you put all the pieces together, they got like one decently healthy person. Why is this important to this story? Well, in celebrating the funeral, right, there had to be, I mean, there was a letting go on Karen's part, like the the loss of a loved one, like that's, that's hard no matter what. But on top of just their, their marriage, they had a, another vocation. That was to the diaconate, to serve in the church. And when a, when a man seeks the permanent diaconate, it's not just him seeking it. It's actually the spouse is very, very involved. But God had invited him to consider this, had invited him after all the other stuff he's done for the diocese, all the other stuff he's done in his family and, and for the country and all these different things, He felt this invitation from God to serve in that way. But it was an invitation that had to be shared for himself and Karen. Where it becomes most beautiful is that as Deacon Jim got older and some of his medical stuff got worse, he at one point had to have a majority of his leg amputated. And so there was a, a long time there where he couldn't walk. He was learning to use the prosthetic and all these things. And so during that time, Karen walked for him. You know, she got him around. She helped him move. And he still would. He would still come to Mass. He would serve. He'd proclaim the Gospel. But then when it came to distributing communion, like, he needed help. And she would do that. In the same capacity, he, has, he had a beautiful voice that he lent to the church as a gift And during all of those operations, his vocal cords were so damaged, he could no longer sing. And so when he couldn't even speak, Karen spoke for him. Now, there was earlier times where in Karen's illness and and stuff, she had a lot of struggles with her hands, like being able to grasp things, being able to feel things. And Deacon Jim, he's a big dude. Big dude. Big hands. Kind of intimidating. But he would use his hands to help her when she couldn't do anything with her hands. I say this because after the funeral, I went to another church and celebrated a wedding for a a young couple, Tori and Mitchell. And the fact that I witnessed this funeral where this spouse had to say goodbye to her spouse, her partner, who together they had done so much through invitation to go and then watch the formation of a new family where I was emphasizing to them like the importance of sacrifice, the importance of surrender, the importance of suffering to do that for your spouse because your task is to get your spouse to heaven. But all of that comes back to this gospel, an invitation And so for us, the challenge this week is kind of a three-folded element. The first is to think about, has there been a time, the answer is yes, where God has invited me? And to discover what has that looked like? What has God invited me to? How has He been inviting me? The second part is to look at how I've responded to that invitation. Have I ignored it? Have I run from it? Have I dropped everything and immediately followed after? The third piece is to discover what I need to do differently in order to respond differently. And so, I hear this a lot from guys in the seminary. They would say, oh yeah, the Lord was calling me to the seminary. The Lord was calling me to priesthood. And I was, just, I was running from it. I was running from it. I, just, I didn't go to the seminary. I was running from it. Okay. So they, they recognized a call. And their response was, no, bye-bye. But the point that they recognized, like, what it has to change is, maybe they had to surrender or they had to admit, like, I had to, they had to give up what they were doing in the world, in their, in their jobs or their relationships. They had to surrender all of that to go back to the invitation. The beautiful thing is God, who knows us and loves us, has calls for each of us based off of our loves, our passions, our strengths, and our weaknesses. And I think of Deacon Jim and Karen at the times that he was weak, she was strong. I think of Tori and Mitchell. At times, there will be, there'll be moments where he has to step up for her and she has to step up for him. And for us as a church, God has an invitation to say, I, I want to give this to you. I want to provide this to you. I want you to, to accept this. And that can be the big vocations of marriage. That can be... Um, orders That can be consecrated life. That can be those pieces. But it could also be educators, medical workers. It can be um, librarians. It can be garbage workers. It can be all the stuff. At the core, it's Christian. The disciples today were invited and I don't even know if they knew what they were saying yes to but they immediately followed so I guess they had to know something God wants to invite us and maybe we don't always know exactly what that looks like but we have to know he is good and he's not going to invite me to something that would be bad so where have I been called that's the first task where have I been called have I recognized it do I identify it how have I responded in those times? Or can I be more attentive to a future call? Because it's not like he gives one call and then we're done. Where have I been called? How did I respond? Where am I being called? How am I responding? You can look at this either way. But then lastly, what's something that might have to change, that might have to be different to make these work? The disciples sat and watched the Master. We are called to sit and watch the Master, to learn from Him in order to to be like Him. Because we don't need all that division. There's, There's enough of that already in the world. But as Christian, we have been called. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, we are being called.